Hello and welcome to the Growth Adventure Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel. Today, I am joined by Susan Appel of the Indie Learning Team. Hello, Susan. Hello. Because of Gregory Appel, we believe in full transparency. I need to disclose a few things first. I am a board member of the Indie Learning Team. Susan is a co-owner of Gregory Appel. And last but not least, she is my best friend and wife. So with that out of the way, full transparency, look forward to the conversation. Uh, Susan, you are the executive director and founder of the Indie Learning Team, which focuses on early literacy, correct? Yes. For, uh, for those of us uh, uh, watching or listening to the podcast that aren't aware of the Indie Learning Team, could you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I graduated from the Kelly School of Business and you and I moved to Chicago where I worked at the world's largest public relations agency. And I worked for companies like Harley Davidson. I did their 100th anniversary, Kraft Foods. I launched food brands and then we moved back to Indianapolis for you to join Gregory Napel and go to grad school. And I worked for advertising agencies, big healthcare organizations in Indianapolis and pharma companies and started my own consulting. We had three kids and it led me to the Indie Learning Team journey. My grandfather, myself, and our daughter are all dyslexic, and we all had a similar journey. Uh, my grandfather lived in rural Indiana and dropped out of school at the age of 10 because they told him he was stupid and he was functionally illiterate his whole life. And he and my grandmother started a very successful company, but that literacy struggle always brought him a lot of shame. Um, I am dyslexic and my mom figured it out really early on and had me tested, but my public school in Indianapolis didn't want to acknowledge the testing or support me. And in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher took me out in the hall and told me that I was stupid and that I had to just get used to it. And I didn't know then, but that wasn't the first time that people were going to tell me that I couldn't or I was less than or that I shouldn't use my voice. And I, my parents were huge advocates and used all their resources to make sure I had support. And by the time I was in high school, dyslexia was a non-issue. And it works out well for you because without that, I wouldn't have changed schools and we wouldn't have met in fifth grade. Thank you for getting the plug in there. A happy twist to the story. Yay, yay, yay dyslexia. (laughs) So then our daughter, we knew that dyslexia, there's a genetic component. So we knew that there was a chance and we were not upset about it. And we were asking and asking. She's our oldest child. And people keep t- kept telling us and me in particular that it was fine and kids learn to read differently. And then at the end of first grade, they said, oh, no, it's really bad. And I just was devastated because I had been asking and asking. And we know that early literacy skills are so important. And we are, I'm so grateful that we have the ability to just, we paid for all of her tutoring out of pocket. And it's been incredibly expensive and rewarding for her. And She's in seventh grade and dyslexia is a non-issue. She's never felt shame. She feels proud of it. She loves reading. And during that journey, I I said, what about all the other kids that don't have the resources that we had? And, And that's how we started on this journey. And I learned that 60% of U.S. fourth graders 
read below proficient um, grade level, and there's a 90% chance a poor first grade reader will remain a poor reader. And the statistics on low literacy are increased poverty, welfare, prison. You know, Arizona predicts its prison beds by its third grade reading level. So the stakes for early literacy are high, and that really started the journey about how do we bring access to high quality literacy instruction to all students. You've used the word journey a couple of times, which I think is a, it, it's a great choice of words because the Indie Learning Team really started as a summer reading component for our neighborhood community center, correct? Yeah, I started out saying, how can we help? And I have had great partners along the way to look at that. And we started in some schools and it wasn't we couldn't get the traction. There were a lot of challenges. And so we have evolved into the model that we have now where we we create opportunity through access to literacy by empowering and investing in community members and community programs by delivering uh, science-based literacy instruction to catch kids before they fall behind and to build infrastructures of trust and relationship to see unforeseen problems or struggles, say like a global pandemic. <laughs> Just a minor one. So just to clarify for everybody listening, even though this was born out of supporting children with dyslexia, that's not the sole audience you're serving, correct? No, and it's not the primary audience we serve now because what we found, you know, I mentioned that 60% of U.S. fourth graders read below proficient. If you look down into it for black and brown communities and low-income communities, it hits those communities harder. And I have a great conversation with one of our team members, reading specialist Kayla, where she talks about it isn't as much as an achievement gap as an opportunity gap. And that's what science, reading science tells us as well. It tells us that reading struggle is universal, but upper class, middle class, and particularly white families have the resources like we did to pay for tutoring, to pay for story times and camps and background knowledge where other communities may not. And that's what really what we're trying to do now is, is be an equalizer to provide opportunity for all students and adults. And since you mentioned Kayla, one of the components of the Indie Learning Team is really an economic development component, correct? Could you maybe talk a little bit about how that model has evolved? So we have four guiding principles. And one of them is that community leaders should make decisions for their community. And we need to build trusting relationships and partnerships. And then the fourth one is that when we build resources and mentor and train people in the community, our programs are stronger and the impact lasts longer. You know, as a business leader, you would never ask people to provide a service and not pay them for it and not pay the market rate for it and expect them to stay around and keep doing that. And we don't do that either. So we run the Indie Learning Team. I should say I run the Indie Learning Team like I would run a for-profit business. We train reading specialists and then we pay them market rate, which is 30 to $50 an hour, uh, because that's what a reading specialist gets paid. And we train primarily black reading specialists because there aren't black reading specialists. And we feel that representation matters. And that has 
created a huge and inspiring impact. It has created resources in the community. Miss Amber, who is at the MLK Center, she is a reading specialist. She runs their after school program. And she's a force in that community. She's a resource. And it creates impact that I could never personally make, that outside people could not make. And it creates lasting literacy. It creates an incentive structure that people want to be trained. They want to promote literacy. And as I said before, when the global pandemic hit, the first thing our community centers were asking as they were delivering food and emergency care was how can we continue to support literacy? So it becomes ingrained in the community and it's exciting. And I am so grateful for our partners and their dedication. And I'm just inspired by interactions every day. I just had a text. We're training four new reading specialists this Order, and we've created a support group and they meet two or three times a week plus their class. And I just got a note that they like got a hundred on their test and they were so excited. And that community support that they have created with each other is, it's just, it's where the magic is. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been a, a fly on the wall as you've been joining them on Saturdays and the, the smiles are genuine. That's for sure. So you mentioned your community partners. How many community partner sites is the Indie Learning Team currently supporting in some way? So we have seven community partners that we support, whether with after school or preschools. And that's largely been growing organically by referrals and word of mouth, correct? Yes. And in the pandemic, we doubled our impact. I decided in March when I was sitting at my dining room table, homeschooling our children, printing off literacy materials so that they could be sent home with food because a lot of our community does not have internet. So at the beginning, all we could do was provide printed materials and books and send it home and and hope that we were going to spend whatever resources we had. And our community showed up for us. Our community centers showed up for us. Our supporters showed up for us. And we were able to double the impact. And this year, We have some big, exciting things going on that I think we could more than double again this year. The need is so big. So you've really landed on a a very decentralized organizational structure for the Indie Learning Team. Is that something that you did intentionally or is it something that you just found as you were partnering with community members that it just worked better? Well, when you're talking about us being decentralized, what you're talking about is that we go in and train and mentor and invest in communities. We primarily don't deliver the literacy programs. And that was very purposeful because, again, one of our tenants is community members should make decisions for themselves. So I never wanted to go in and say, I have the answer for you. Do whatever I have. We certainly have reading resources and we look at reading science and we know what works, but we felt that community members, community organizations should deliver and want to deliver the instruction and support. So we've done that purposely and it has helped us in a lot of ways. Our cost structure is a lot lower because we're partnering with other people. We're sharing resources. We're not Uh, reinventing the wheel. We do go in with a lot of support and mentoring, and and that is key, like in any business ongoing development and and support. But that has been really purposeful. And I think it has is something innovative that we do a way that we think about our organization differently. 
and it has allowed us to be nimble and grow during a global pandemic instead of having to cover a bunch of overhead. Now, since you, you kind of talked earlier about uh, you have the possibility of doubling again in 2021, if you look out five years from now, what does what's a success look like for you and the India Learning Team? So you told me you're going to ask me this question, and I, I really struggle about it because when I look at the, the past five years, the journey that we've been on, I couldn't have predicted the opportunities and partnerships that we had. So I think when I look at what does five years look like, I want to be true to our principles. It would be a dream that all you know, kindergarten through third graders in our program were reading at Benchmark. That would be you know, such a community changing event. I want there to be loud, strong voices, louder than mine from the indie learning team telling us what needs to be done, what communities need. I want diverse books to be in every home, particularly the homes of the kids that we serve, but also the white families as well. We've seen the power of reading books with different characters for our own children and and for ourselves. I want the funding structure to be in place to support what's right for communities, not what funders want, and to really be able, really investing in people and building um, the infrastructure for the great reading work that's happening. And a little over a year ago, you were at Stanford, right? Two years ago. Two years? Time flies, man. (laughs) Yeah, I went uh, to Stanford to do a social entrepreneurship executive course, and it was really fascinating, and I learned a lot in it, and it showed us that we're on the right track. And I would imagine you probably picked up a few tools that were helpful here this last year. This last year has been, as we've been on this journey together, and I think that the thing that I have learned is that, like I said, people showed up for us, and we showed up for people. And we worked hard at that. And I also learned that our words and actions matter. The initiatives that we take matter. Investing in people matter, especially when things are really hard. And we've had hard times. The Indie Learning Team has. I walked with you with the Gregory Nappel journey and... There were hard and certain times, and I think you and I both went back on that Brene Brown quote, we're not going to act scary when we're scared, and worked hard to build connection and share our fears and our hopes and our dreams and our opportunities and believe that our community can make it through. And and I think that belief in community and the investment in community has paid off for us. Well, I, I know that you personally are a very resilient person, but have the last 12 months pleasantly surprised you or taught you anything about the Indie Learning Team from a resilience standpoint? Certainly. I mean, we had the fear that everybody else had in March what was going to happen. And then we quickly learned that not only were we going to be, were we going to make it, but we are were more important, more needed than ever. And I mean, it is exciting for us to have gone through this global pandemic to watch what the schools um, have, the kids have been in and out of school, our programs have been one pivot after the other. And that has been inspiring to watch the staff there just continue to work and do what it takes. And be in a position to look at some of our community centers and say, you know what, we might get 
the majority of our kids reading above benchmark, even in a global pandemic, because we have been doing tutoring virtually since March. We have had to buy devices and internet for a variety of people. We've been giving books. We've been, you know, our team members are so dedicated. When you asked me to come, I said, I don't want to come alone because it's not me. It's this, it's our team. And I think that it has taught me the power of a team, a power of shared vision. And, you know, in some ways it's about fearlessness, about speaking truth to what's needed. And when we have spoken that out into the world, people have shown up to support us. And I'm just really grateful for the people that I get to work with and partner with. Thank you. Uh, so this next question is not intended to be a, a, a gotcha question, but earlier on, you said you, you initially tried to work through what logically would have been the simplest route, right? Work with schools to help support their students. And for a lot of different reasons, that was kind of like beating your head against a, a wall. But you're also on the board of, of Promise Prep Academy. Are you encouraged that some educational leaders are seeing the value of science-based literacy support. And are you, are you optimistic that at some point you might work yourself out of a job? I mean, working myself out of a job would be a dream. It is what we work towards. And not only for the need to go away, but if we can invest in people so that more people have the skills to address the need as it comes up, that is what we're going for. I do think that there are a lot of educators out there. The literacy landscape, as with any landscape, there are lots of battles about what way to go. And in some ways, I just, that isn't for us. You know, we're not trying to be right. We're trying to do what's right. We're trying to make sure that kids have the opportunity to learn. And I think if in going back to your five-year question, it would be exciting that we didn't have to come on here and say kids should have the opportunity to learn. No matter their race, socioeconomic, where they live, they should have access to literacy. That is what we should all be outraged about, that, we're, that we need to talk about opportunity to learn. And so that's what, you know, I'm on the board of Promise Prep because they're amazing leaders. They believe in doing whatever it takes to educate kids and they're inspiring their personal stories are inspiring and so i'm excited to be a part of that and support them thank you we are both lifelong indianapolis residents i would say both of us are very familiar with a certain part of the city but in your work with the indie learning team what is something new that you've learned about indianapolis i did not realize the extent of the segregation, the extent of the different experiences that people have, the extent of the lack of access to cultural institutions, basic things that you and I take for granted. And I think overall, just the lack of connection between the city as a whole. I think that going back to your question about the pandemic, I realized that we belong to each other. And still today, none of us are going to be successful and move out of this until we all are. And that is a hard thing to remember because we all worry about ourselves and our families and our personal situation. But 
it may be easy to forget about the school that's in downtown Indianapolis where kids are struggling to have books, to have teachers. I didn't know that kids go whole school years without a full-time teacher in their classroom. That would not happen at our kids' school. And it's really easy to say to other them and put that off and, and make excuses. But in the end, we all pay for it in the end. We're all worse off for it. We are better when we have everyone's ideas, when people are empowered, when everyone's voice is heard, even when they don't like to hear it. I guess that's what I feel because sometimes you don't like to hear my opinion, but I feel that, you know. No, that that's not true. <laughs> pushing each other and challenging each other and supporting each other we're all better off. It creates a stronger community, a bigger pie, more opportunities, things that we can't imagine, more innovation. Couldn't agree more. What have you learned through the Indie Learning Team journey? Well, the podcast is only a half hour, so um, uh, oh. I'll just say a lot. Um, no, through your community building, I have been introduced to some really thoughtful, committed community leaders that I never would have come across just given my network and kind of what, where I go on a day-to-day -day basis for my business. No, I, I, I've learned a lot, but yeah, being introduced to, introduced to people I otherwise likely would not have been introduced to has been, it's been great. And again, half hour podcast, so I can't go into too much depth there. So you're a fabulous person and I'm not just saying that because you're my wife and you have lots of amazing traits that have helped you succeed, but it, if you had to say there's one trait that you know you, you would hold on to no matter what is that trait? I guess it, it's hard to judge yourself in that way, but I think determination. One of my good friends and partners, Chadwick Gillenwater, otherwise known as Professor Watermelon, and I early on were in a community center. We were so excited. We were going to go in and do this program. And it was just a complete disaster. It's just like the kids, you know, we all have kids. It was just bad. And we walked out and it was so deflating. And he turned to me and said, we're not going to give up. We're going to learn from it. And we're going to find a way. And we have. And in the pandemic, we have said that a lot to ourselves. We're going to find a way. We're going to find a way if it's us printing off materials, if it's going virtual, if it's buying devices and internet. We're going to find a way to bring this opportunity to kids. And I think I've had to do that also in the face of people saying to me, what can you do to help people? Or telling me that I should be silent and never use my voice. Those things are incredibly painful and difficult. And I think that it has really shaken my confidence. But in the end, I believe in what we're doing. And I believe that every single person should be able to use their voice and have opportunities to learn. Kind of a, a related question to that is, and I know that you're a very humble person and the Indie Learning Team is the definition of it's not about you. But with that said, in, in 15, 20 years time, if every child has access to literacy or resources and you can wind down the indie learning team what are you hoping that people would say about you 
You know, that isn't even a question that I think about because what I want is there to be forever resources that give people opportunities, that give people access to literacy. I'm working and with your support on creating a fund to support entrepreneurship. And I guess what I want people to know is that they matter that their hopes and dreams matter, that opportunity for them matters, and that I hope that I and you can show up each day and help walk that forward. Because it's although I am hopeful that we can make progress, it's a never-ending journey to support people and to bring opportunity and to continue to, you know, do better. Thank you. And you dodged my question, but I'll let it slide. So uh, we're coming up to the end of, of the interview here. And I'm going to give you one last softball question that if people are interested in learning more about the learning team or supporting your mission. Where could they go to find more information? Yeah, we would love for you to follow us on social media at the Indie Learning Team and join our community. We are the Indie Learning Team.org. You can Visit, find out, listen to the stories from our team members, which are inspiring to me. You can buy books off of our wish list that we give directly to kids. You can also go to Kids Inc. to buy books for our community, and you can donate there as well if you're interested in, in that. But we'd love Thank for you to join the conversation with us. Thank you. And I can attest, it's a fabulous website, and she keeps it updated very regularly, so... That's a great source. Susan Appel, Executive Director of the Indie Learning Team. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growth Adventure Podcast. Colleagues know internally I tend to sign off with some sappy things, but in this case, I truly mean it. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. I love you too.